welcome to the Primary Ride Home for Wednesday, April 17th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, a look at how policy is used as a tool by candidates. Bernie Sanders gets cheers on Fox News. The full FEC fundraising list is now online. Buttigieg faces hecklers in Iowa. And Warren proposes a new plan to protect public lands. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. In New York Magazine, Ed Kilgore has an excellent article titled From Breezy Beto to Wonky Warren, How Candidates Use Policy. There's a link in the show notes, and I encourage you to read it. I also want to use Kilgore's analysis as a way to start talking about policy on this show. We already did a full episode on Friday last week covering the Sanders Medicare for All plan, but that is by no means the only major policy proposal out there within this primary field. It's just the one that got the most media attention last week. First up, a paragraph that sets the stage from an article by John Judas in Talking Points Memo. There's a link to that in the show notes. Judas writes, quote, Buttigieg understands that successful political campaigns are based on themes and not on policies. His announcement speech was lacking in bullet points and numbers. Instead of taking a specific stand on Medicare for All, he talked about how because of Medicare, when his parents got sick, quoting Buttigieg here, all we had to think about was what was medically right for mom and dad both, not whether our family would go bankrupt. I want every American to have that same benefit, he concluded. End quote. So that's a starting point. Judas is telling us here one way to run a campaign by saying, effectively, here are my values, here are my priorities, and here is the way I think about issues. And if you, as a voter, like all those qualities about me as a candidate, you can kind of extrapolate that I would make good policy decisions as president. Now, the other way to come at that approach is from the opposite side. You can deliver a bunch of specific policy proposals and let people infer from those proposals what is going on in your mind. Now, yes, everybody does a little bit of both, but still, it's a key difference which one you pick to emphasize. So Kilgore lays out four ways that candidates use policy in an effort to get elected. First is what he calls policy as an ideological marker. Kilgore writes, quote, In 2020, as in 2016, Bernie Sanders has been masterful in using a few high-profile specific policy proposals to undergird his self-presentation as a fearless challenger of corporate power and establishment politics. His relentless advocacy of single-payer health care, tuition-free college, and a high minimum wage have also given him an indirect way to suggest that other Democratic candidates in 2016 Hillary Clinton, and this year multiple rivals, aren't so fearless or so independent of unsavory influences, end quote. And we saw that in action with the Sanders Medicare for All plan last week. Four of his opponents in the primary, Booker, Gillibrand, Harris, and Warren, all co-sponsored the bill with him. But they didn't go all in on that one bill. They also backed moderate bills around health care policy. And in contrast, you have Hickenlooper and Klobuchar actively saying that the Sanders Medicare for All plan is not something they approve of. They use that plan to say, hey, this Sanders guy is way out on the left. I don't like his policy plan. My policy plan is in the middle. Therefore, I'm in the middle. Okay? So pointing to policy as a way to say, hey, voters, this is where I am ideologically, left, center, or right. Kilgore's second point is policy as signature. 
This idea means launching your campaign around one or two key policies as a way to declare your commitment to a given issue. For instance, Washington Governor Jay Inslee is all about climate change. He is all in on that one, coming out of the gate with policy around it and proposals about carbon taxes. Other candidates have super clear policies that act as their signatures. For instance, Harris came out early with a progressive tax proposal that would basically invert the recent tax bill passed by Republicans. Harris also wants to boost teacher pay across the country. Those two issues together signal, okay, here's a candidate whose signature issues are economic. They're about fair taxation and fair pay. Meanwhile, Klobuchar has a seven-point infrastructure plan. That is her signature, repair all the broken stuff, build all the new stuff, and along with that comes jobs. Now, Kilgore's third point is a lot of fun. He calls it, quote, the hazy policy option, never having to tell voters you're sorry, end quote. His point here is that you can run on your personality, your biography, your command of language, your intelligence, your wit, your charisma, all of this intrinsic stuff without really mentioning policy. In this section, he highlights two candidates, Beto O'Rourke and Pete Buttigieg. Now, to be clear, Kilgore admits that both candidates have talked about policy, of course, but that's not their main messaging focus. These candidates talk much more about their values rather than specific proposals. And Kilgore recounts several moments in O'Rourke's campaign when he has admitted that he doesn't have a good answer to a specific policy question, but that he is willing to listen. In one case, O'Rourke asked a staffer to get someone's phone number so they could talk later about the issue and he could then dig into it. Now that, in and of itself, tells you something about the candidate. Not only is he not locked in on a bunch of specific policies, but he is so approachable that he wants to ask you what you think. Kilgore's fourth and final point is called policy as identity. Let me read you the first paragraph in that section. Quote, Elizabeth Warren has very deliberately gone about establishing herself as the most policy-intensive candidate in the 2020 field. With detailed proposals on issues ranging from agriculture and technology to banking, public lands, and childcare, she is in effect doubling down on her identity as a brilliant former college professor who could be the perfect antidote to four years of a president who doesn't read, doesn't think deeply, and doesn't bother with facts or logic or arithmetic. End quote. This is kind of the opposite of that third point we just talked about. Basically, this is a candidate saying, you shall know me by my policies. And in this primary field, Warren is absolutely the candidate taking this approach, as Kilgore points out. Warren has done more heavy lifting in the specific policy arena than anybody else by a mile. Just go look at all the PDFs she's released. We'll have more on that later in this show, as I think there is real value in examining some of the policies that Warren and all the others bring to the table. On Monday night, Bernie Sanders went on Fox News in a town hall event in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Now, there was already some quiet angst from the left that Sanders would go on Fox News at all, but what actually happened during the appearance has now gone viral. Fox News hosts Brett Baer and Martha McCallum set the agenda asking pointed questions of the candidate. No problem there. What they maybe didn't expect was that the audience in Pennsylvania was filled with people who actually like Sanders and back his policies. Here's some writing from The Guardian summarizing what happened. Quote, Sanders, with the help of the sympathetic audience, flipped the script, turning whatever the Fox News executives might have intended to air 
into what at times seemed an hour-long commercial for the Sanders candidacy, broadcast free to potentially millions of Fox viewers. In perhaps the night's biggest backfire, host Bear asked for a show of hands of how many people get their insurance from work, private insurance, right now. Bear continued, Now, of those, how many are willing to transition to what the senator says, a government-run system? Nearly every hand went up along with a hearty cheer. More applause lines landed one after the next, each followed by, at times, raucous support. Sanders, I believe that healthcare is a human right, not a privilege, okay? Sanders, we don't need to demonize immigrants. Sanders, we have got as a nation to reject Trump's idea that climate change is a hoax. End quote. Now, I mention this story not simply to dunk on Fox News. I think the actual takeaway is to understand that the Sanders campaign, or maybe just his supporters organically, anticipated this town hall event and made sure they had heavy representation in the room. Other candidates take note, and there are other candidates talking about going on Fox News. This strategy is modern media 101 because it creates viral video clips all on its own. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. All right, I am not going to bore you with a bunch of fundraising numbers here because I've been doing that for the last couple of days and I'm certain that you have had enough. So just public service announcement time here. The FEC fundraising data from Q1 is now officially all online for the primary candidates. You can find that link in the show notes if you're into that kind of thing, and you can check out super detailed reports on how much money each candidate brought in and what they have spent so far. Note that this covers all parties, so it's all in there. Data nerds, rejoice. At a campaign event Tuesday night in Des Moines, Iowa, Pete Buttigieg faced anti-gay protesters who yelled, quote, remember Sodom and Gomorrah, end quote. Now, if you're not up on your scripture regarding these ancient cities, just, I guess, Google it and then read some critical theory and take some comparative religion classes because we just don't have time to get into all of that right here. Long story short, it's an anti-gay thing. So the hecklers started yelling and the audience responded with a chant of Pete, 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 and so on, and drowned out the protesters' voices. This actually happened multiple times. And then Buttigieg spoke directly to those protesters. He said, quote, You know, the good news is the condition of my soul is in the hands of God, but the Iowa caucuses are up to you, end quote. 
He pointed at the audience there and got a nice applause line on that one. Later in the speech, the protesters took up their chant again, and Buttigieg looked at them, gave them a thumbs up, and said, quote, Yep, we got it. Promise you, we got it. End quote. And yet later, the protesters interrupted Buttigieg again as he spoke about same-sex marriage, and he responded by saying, quote, Remember the beauty of our democracy. Everyone here gets the exact same voice and vote. End quote. After our first story today about policy, I want to highlight one policy proposal from Elizabeth Warren. She has a bunch of them, and we will cover some more in future shows, but her most recent policy paper came out on Monday, and it's all about protecting public lands. In a post on Medium, Warren laid out her plan and noted, first up, that in fact, in the U.S., 25% of all land is public, meaning it is owned by the federal government. Now, I did a quick fact check on that figure and found a Congressional Research Service paper pegging the number even higher at 28%. Links to both of those in the show notes. Point is, close enough. So, obviously, if we have such a huge amount of land held by the federal government, it's natural to ask what we should do with it. Some administrations, including the current one, sell oil and gas leases to portions of that land. Same thing with logging and coal extraction. Warren writes, quote, It doesn't have to be this way. We must not allow corporations to pillage our public lands and leave taxpayers to clean up the mess. All of us, local communities and tribes, hunters and anglers, ranchers and weekend backpackers, must work together to manage and protect our shared heritage. That's why today I'm rolling out my plan to protect our public lands and preserve wild, natural places for future generations. End quote. Warren goes on to explain that fossil fuel extraction on public lands accounts for nearly a quarter of all U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. Her goal is, first, to reduce that. She says she'll immediately put a moratorium on all new fossil fuel leases, including all offshore drilling and new drilling on public lands. She would also reinstate various protections for air and water that have recently been waived by executive order, thus reducing emissions. But Warren doesn't stop there, not by far. In fact, her proposal is to turn public lands into part of the solution for climate change. She writes, quote, As president, I will set a goal of providing 10% of our overall electricity generation from renewable sources offshore or on public lands. That's nearly 10 times what we are currently generating. We can achieve this goal while prioritizing sites with low impact on local ecology, but high potential for renewable energy generation. My administration will make it a priority to expedite leases and incentivize development in existing designated areas and share royalties from renewable generation with states and local communities to help promote economic development and reduce local dependence on fossil fuel revenues, end quote. Now, this is ambitious, but it does make sense. If you look at areas in the U.S. that have lost jobs because of environmental restrictions, for instance, in Oregon, where I live, where logging has been decreasing over the past decades, using that land to generate clean energy and create jobs would really help those communities. Next up, Warren talks about preserving monuments like Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante in Utah, both of which were recently opened up for mining and drilling. She also decries the fact that Congress has not properly funded the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Her plan is to make spending on that fund mandatory, so it doesn't keep getting reappropriated to other stuff by Congress in future years. 
She also intends to fund a major infrastructure investment in existing national parks, which currently have an $11 billion backlog in deferred maintenance costs. And that's not all. Warren proposes to bring back the Civilian Conservation Corps, adding 10,000 workers focusing on young people and veterans to put unemployed people to work maintaining public lands. She wants to fund this new program by increasing the budget for AmeriCorps. She points out that this kind of work, by its very definition, cannot be exported overseas. These are American jobs on American land. And that's still not all. Warren wants to improve access to national parks by eliminating entrance fees, which are currently pretty high for your typical family. She writes, quote, The National Park Service is funded by taxpayers, and it's long past time to make entry into our parks free to ensure that visiting our nation's treasures is within reach for every American family, end quote. And one more piece here, quote, As many as 10 million acres in the West are not accessible to hunters, anglers, and other outdoor enthusiasts. It's time for us to open more public lands to responsible recreation and prioritize accessibility for all Americans to enjoy the great outdoors. I commit to unlocking 50% of these inaccessible acres to grow our outdoor economy, help ease the burden on our most popular lands, and to provide a financial boost across rural America. End quote. And that's not even the whole plan. There is a lot more to it. But I wanted to take this journey down just one of Warren's policy plans to give you a sense of what it looks like for a candidate to run on policy. As a bookend to the first segment today, which talked about how candidates use policy in their campaigns, it is clear that Warren sees specific policy declarations as key to reaching voters. There are links in the show notes to both her policy proposal itself and some commentary on it. And that's it for another episode of The Primary Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Higgins. Now, buckle up, everyone, for tomorrow's incoming Mueller report, which I sincerely hope I do not have to report on much. And as always, stay hydrated. All right. Thank you. And I will talk to you all tomorrow. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.